My name is Joey Harris. I help teach classes here at Grace College of, Div of Divinity. And I'm going to probably give you some shameless plugs throughout the way on the college. We started to offer classes here um, a couple years ago. So we're actually going to be starting a class called Systematic Theology in September. No, August. Sorry, August. So uh, registration's open. So we'd love to, love to see you there. So, um, hey, Ralph. Hey, how are you? Pastor Ralph. I would have totally written a better sermon if I know you're going to be here. <laughs> you really upped the ante. I love you, man. All right. Um, if you remember, uh, a few years ago, Ryan started out uh, reading this First John letter, uh, and we have been walking through it. If you remember the very first sermon, he wanted to do two things. Wanted to read through John, see what God's speaking us through this letter of 1 John. And number two, he wanted to just to kind of incorporate some good principles of just how to read your own Bible at home. This is one thing to come to church, let the pastor kind of teach you. Uh, it's another thing at home when you, when you are in front of your Bible, uh, he wanted to incorporate some just good uh, principles for you to be using. And actually, I taught the, what's called the hermeneutics class Last year at Grace College of Vinny, first time I taught it, totally learned so much. So that's where I want to start with. I've got four just simple, basic Bible reading principles that I want to share with you from that class. I'm essentially going to distill down 16 weeks worth of class in the next 10 minutes. All right? You got it? Let's go. We'll call this Bible Reading 101. Number one, read with the purpose of, that's where we started the class. Why do you read the Bible? Why do you pick it up in the morning? And that's an obvious question. And it was strange. We, there was different answers. The Bible says there's one main answer here. The main reason you read the Bible, and it will change the way you read the Bible, the main reason, the main purpose you read the Bible is to worship God worship God. Now, can you read it for other reasons? Yes. I mean, there's some other, you could uh, read it, you know, you got problems, you got relational problems, you got financial problems, you got attitude problems. Those are all good to read the Bible for. That's just not the main problem. The number one problem that all of us have is our relationship with God. God wants to, for you to know him to love him, worship him beyond anything else. That's the purpose you read the Bible. So and it, it made me, at the, at, I've called this by different things in the past. Um, sometimes I've called it an instruction manual. Anybody ever called it that? It's good. It's got a lot of instructions in it. But here's the thing. If you're not careful... Have you ever read an instruction manual mainly to get to know who wrote the instruction manual? Instructions, yes, lots of instructions. But make sure that you read the Bible for the main goal of getting to know, to love, to worship God. Number two, read with dependence on what? Where, where are you leaning for help? When you read the Bible, what are you depending on? Are you depending on the study notes in your Bible, devotional, commentary, 
Just your own intellect figured all out? The Bible's clear that you have to read the Bible with dependence on the Holy Spirit. The, the Bible was written by a supernatural God, was written supernaturally, and requires supernatural help in order for you to understand and live it out. Paul says the natural man does not accept the Spirit, the things of the Spirit of God. You absolutely should be dependent on the Holy Spirit when you read the Bible. And the main reason you know if you're dependent on reading the, the Bible with supernatural dependence is how much do you pray before reading the Bible? If you feel an utter dependence on God, if you just come to this and say, God, if you don't show up, I'm going to waste my time, you start saying very needy things. You start saying, God, you've got to do something here. You've got to open my mind. You've got to incline my heart towards yours. Got to read the Bible with dependence on the Holy Spirit. Number three, read to discover the author's intended meaning. One of the, this sounds obvious, but one of the best things that you can consistently do when reading the Bible is to continuously ask whatever author you're reading, what do you mean by that? When Jesus is given the Sermon on the Mount, you just say, all right, Jesus, come on, what, what, are you, what, are you, what are you meaning here? What are you communicating to me here? And if you think, reading to discover the author's intended meaning, what else would we be doing? The main thing, the main problem that we all have is we begin to trade in discovering the author's meaning and creating your own meaning. We are bent on wanting to make the Bible mean what we want it to mean. I want to give you a quote. We got any Bob Dylan fans in here? Bob Dylan fans? Got one. Everyone else? I like Bob Dylan. Did you know Bob Dylan won the Nobel Prize for Literature a couple years ago? Are you aware of that? He said this. If a, listen, to this, it's not going to be on the screen. You have to listen. If a song moves you, that's all that's important. I don't have to know what a song means. I've written all kinds of things into my songs, and I'm not going to worry about it, what it all means. If a song moves you, that's all that's important. Bob Dylan, in effect, says he's giving you the final authority to determine what his songs mean. I'm just saying the Bible writers have the exact opposite point of view. They have a meaning, and they claim to have ultimate authority. And if you get to decide what the Bible means, ultimately, you have the authority. And let's be honest, we don't, want it. we don't want to be in that position, do we? We make really crummy gods. Number four, read to be transformed. The Bible is, reading the Bible is never the end unto itself. It's a means. God's always wanting you to transform you through your Bible reading. Never content with you just reading. That's, that's why the Pharisees are in the Bible. They proved to you that reading the Bible for long periods of time is not sufficient. They weren't transformed by what they were reading. 
In other words, reading about love, not the same as actually loving people. Reading about the glory of God is not the same as glorifying God. So you could read with the right purpose, read with dependence on the Spirit, rediscover the author's intended meaning. If you are not transformed by what you read, you have wasted your time. James says it like this, if you hear the word but don't do it, you're deceived. We, you have to get out of the notion that if you read the Bible at 7 in the morning, you close it at 7.30, your devotions are not finished. They've just begun. God's looking to transform you throughout your day and throughout your life by the reading. It's not the end. I have for years read the Bible, closed it, there's the devotion time, check box. Box can't be checked until you live it out. All right? That's sermon number one. Sermon number two, 1 John 5. Y'all ready? So we're going to incorporate the four principles I just mentioned, 1 John chapter 5. So number one, I'm not going to be content without seeing God in this. I want to worship him. Number two, I want to depend on the Holy Spirit, and I want to pray for us right now. God, we can do nothing apart from you. We are the branch. You are the vine. So I pray, God, that next few minutes as we read this book that you perfectly inspired, open our minds up. Give us ears to hear. Give me a teaching ability to instruct the people rightly. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So you've got to know the last line from last week. Ryan mentioned it because that's what I'm going to be talking about. Here's the last line. It's not going to be up there. You'll have to listen. This is the commandment that we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. I want to read it again. This is the commandment that we have from him, Jesus. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. How you love your brothers and sisters is a big deal. Talked about it last week. We're going to talk about this. It is a big deal how you love your brothers, your sisters, the children of God, the church. And John doesn't write in a vacuum. He's not just writing any old thing. If he is writing whoever got this letter, probably a church, if the church was just super loving, super peaceful, I mean, if you have a group of people that just love one another, you don't write to them, this is the commandment, you need to love each other. No, no, no. No, there was, obviously, there was problems going on. He's addressing problems in the church. This is the issue that we're going to talk about today. And, and honestly, <laughs> this would never have been a sermon I would have picked out, which I love. That's why I love going through chapters of the Bible, because it forces you to talk about things you wouldn't have never talked about in the first place. Can I just say, after the 8.15, zero people came up to me after this and said, man, that's a good sermon. Um, this sermon is for folks who do not like the church. 
Do you have issues loving the people of God? Are you one of those that just naturally always just frustrated with the church? You leave here like hypocrites. Worship too loud. They're always preaching about the same thing. They never preach about blank. You're just naturally always frustrated with the church. You wrestle with the church. And I was there. That's probably why I'm up here. I actually, I left Grace Church eight years ago. You'd ask my wife, every time I went home, I'm just frustrated. They're not doing this, not giving here. They ought to be doing this. Are you one of those people this morning? This is actually, this is kind of for a select group of people. So if, if it's not speaking to you, if you just love the church at this point, thank God for you. Um, use this to protect yourself. Use this to maybe counsel others. But that's where John is writing from right here. He's going to talk directly to people who are really frustrated with the church. All right? John's going to answer two questions this morning for you. Number one, how do you know if you love the church or not? I mean, we can all just say we love the church, but how do you know? Is there like kind of a test? And there is. He's going to tell it to you. Number two, second question he's going to answer this morning. If you do just struggle with loving the church, why? John's going to tell you why. You may not like it, he's going to tell you why. All right, ready? First John chapter 5. If I were to give a title to this sermon, it would be First John chapter 5. <laughs> I got together with the creative team. I got together with John's creative team. Can you think about, you ever thought about how he came up with the titles to his letters? Guys, I've got three letters here. What are we going to name them? What are we going to name the first one? How about First John? I like it. Let's go. All right. First John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So John, throughout the whole letter, has been wanting to make, sh- make sure that you're sure that you're born again. And he gives evidences along the way. And in here, just this verse, we got three evidences. If you say you're born again, number one, you believe that Jesus is the Christ. Number two, you love the Father. And number three, you love whoever else has been been born of God. Children of God. Brothers and sisters, the church, the people sitting around you right now. That's evidence. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God. Comma, we'll complete the sentence here in a second. By this... He will define what this is after the comma. But here's the test. You hear it? By this, I'm going to tell you what this is. We know that we love the children of God. Here's how you know. You ready? Ready to take the test? Next verse. By this, we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. Now, that's interesting. Was, was anybody else looking for a test like, well, how much are you praying for the church? How much are you serving the church? How much are you giving to the church? Meeting the needs of the church, the people of the church? 
Paul seems, Paul, John, John seems to be implying here that the status of your love, your love relationship with the people of God, don't look any further than the status of your love relationship with God himself. And I deduce from that the negative, and here's where I'm going to step on your toes if you're one of these people. I was, I can say this. If you have a love relationship problem with the brothers and the sisters, then you, you have a love relationship problem with your father. That's what John's saying here. I always get the question, I don't know, for some reason, I, 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 a lot of people come to me with frustrations. And usually the question is, is it the church or is it me? It's you. you. And it's probably your relationship with God that is the root of all of your issues. Now, the way that John just communicates this, I know obviously the next few verses, he, he anticipates what you're thinking at this point. He anticipates you saying, now wait a minute, I love God I'm just, I don't know about obeying all of his commandments. I, I can just love God. Obedience commandments kind of, okay, that's important, but that's, that's kind of secondary. Main thing is love for God, right? That's what John thinks that you're thinking. The next verse says this, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. John won't allow you to separate the two. You, you can't say, uh, no thank you on maybe a commandment or two, but I love God. John won't allow you to say that. Loving God, obeying the commands is the evidence that you do love the God. John anticipates what you're thinking next. Here's what he's think, you're thinking next. So, are you saying, Johnny boy, that uh, I'm just supposed to obey the commandments even though I don't want to? Am I just supposed to do the commandments of God just out of sheer duty? That's what he thinks you're thinking right now. Because the next line answers that question. The next line says, his commandments are not burdensome. We define commandments as doing things you don't want to do. I mean, let's think about it. If you're doing the commandments of somebody else, your boss, your commanding officer, your wife, if you're doing the commands of someone else, do you normally do what you would have done anyhow? Nah. You're doing something that you probably wouldn't naturally have wanted to do John is saying here, the commandments of God are different. The commandments of God are to be done out of delight, not duty. Now, your next question is, well, how can I get there because <laughs> I'm not there? I'd love to be able to do the commandments of God out of delight and not duty. 
And he's going to answer that question for you next. Next verse. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Now, honestly, I'm going to be real honest with you. When I read this, I didn't quite understand that. But let, let me highlight one very important thing, another Bible study tip. I would say out of all the words we're talking about here in 1 John 5, probably the most important word is the word that starts verse 4. Can you holler it out? Four. Four is a very important word. Four is connecting verse three with verse four. You see that? His commandments are not burdensome for or because. Here's the reason. The reason is everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. So, Whenever you see the word for used that way, it's a conjunction, by the way. I don't want to scare off any, you get bad memories of seventh grade grammar class. For is very important. It's going to connect the two, and that's the question. How do I get to a point where the commandments of God are not burdensome? And here's how. Now, I didn't know how because I didn't know what he's talking about at first. But he's, this is getting to the root. And I thought, man, this is... I, got, I have got to understand this. And so I just sit there. I'm like, what, what do you mean, John, here? And just start praying, God, you've got to come in. I'm, I am not going to leave this verse with some vague notion of what you're talking about. Started to look. And the first question I had is, John, what do, you, what do you mean by world here? What do you mean by world? And the light bulb started to flicker on. I think... I think I heard Ryan talk about 1 John chapter 2, defining what the world is. That was a long time ago. That was back in 2001 when we were in 1 John chapter 2. But here's what 1 John chapter 2 verse 11 says. Not on the screen, you have to listen. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from this world. Say it again. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. The world's trinity. That's the world. So I started, okay, that's what the world is. His commandments aren't burdensome because everyone who has been born of God is overcoming all of these selfish, prideful self-centeredness that we all suffer from. Pride, selfishness, that's what makes the commandments of God burdensome. If you're competing with God for the center of your life, what God's telling you to do, you don't want to do it. I got my own things I need to do. And if you start applying that to what the topic is here, Your self-centeredness is why you're having so much trouble in the church. Because when you're self-centered, everybody else is the problem. That's what John is communicating to you. Last verse. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 
Who is it that has overcome the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Answer to that rhetorical question, nobody. And this just, this just pushes us into our fourth point of Bible. How, how's God asking you to be transformed from all this? Now, I, I just want you to start to tune out everything. Maybe close your eyes. Just start kind of putting an ear up. God, what do, you, what do you want me to do with this? How do you want me to change? How do you want me to be transformed by what we've read so far? And I'm, I'm thinking of at least two groups. Number one, this last verse says, who is it that has overcome the world except the one who believes? There are folks here in this room, maybe you're watching online, you are not overcoming the world by faith in Jesus Christ. You are being overcome. There's not a third, there's not a third category. It's one or the other. And if you this morning here, you've come, you don't know, you don't believe, you don't have that faithful, hopeful trust in Jesus Christ, I want to pray with you this morning. Number two, second group is just super simply those who are frustrated with the church. Are you fighting with the church or are you fighting for her? Where are you at? You know who you are. 